when you look at the rectification costs that have come across more generally without cladding, there's been a lot of those. You've got the rates issue, but in the defect rectification area, quite often it's levies that have really gone up as well because of the need to address the issues that have existed in particular owners' corporations. When you look at those extra costs that individuals have got, I think there'd probably be examples out there where particular complexes are now not being maintained even because of the higher costs of levies and higher costs of rates. Owners are probably rejecting the need for adequate sinking fund or admin fund to maintain their buildings. So we're going to finish up with some very poorly maintained properties. Welcome to Strata with Susan, the show focused on the complex world of strata law in the ACT. Your host, Susan Proctor from Proctor Legal, is an accredited specialist in property law whose daily focus is on helping clients with their legal requirements around strata, developments and commercial property. This is a show where Susan will share her extensive expertise, thoughts, insights and advice on strata law and welcome leading figures from the industry so that you can stay well informed around all aspects of strata law in the ACT. Here's your host, Susan Proctor from Proctor Legal. Hi everyone and thank you for joining me for this episode of Strata with Susan. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Gary Petherbridge, the president of the Owners Corporation Network in the ACT. Gary is the inaugural president and has been the long-standing president for many years. Gary's role is in both providing education and assistance to existing strata owners in the ACT and of course Gary plays a very important lobbying and advocacy role for those who live and occupy strata in the ACT. Today Gary and I will discuss the strata reforms, what that will mean for those living in ACT strata communities and we will touch on current issues such as cladding and building quality concerns. Gary, I've had the pleasure to know you for many years and our association started with me coming to you in your role as president of the Owners Corporation Network, wanting to talk about strata and my view at the time that there was a need for reform to better address management concerns between residential and commercial owners in mixed-use developments. And as we're seeing more and more of it, particularly in Kingston, Foreshore, Acton and Dixon and places like that, that we needed to have a better, more appropriate and more responsive unit title management act to address the sorts of concerns that were cropping up. This was back in 2014. It has been an absolute pleasure dealing with you over the years and being a part of the reform process with you. And in more recent times, joining you on the executive committee of the Owners Corporation Network. That experience has certainly broadened my horizons as to the multitude of Owners Corporation's issues that crop up on a daily basis for residents in units plans. I wonder if you can speak a little as to how you feel or what you consider as being the most significant opportunities and reforms that are going to impact our executive committees in our residential owners' corporations. I think generally there's, yeah, there's a realisation now that, that not all owners' corporations are well, are well managed or go, the government arrangements are necessarily all that good. And I think uh, most of them need some help to... Uh, 
to assist with getting that right and recognising for a start that the owners are the ones that are really there to run the place, but they elect an executive committee. But the executive committee sometimes then appoints a strata manager. So they're the three components of that, that those arrangements. But quite often it's forgotten by the executive committee that they're there truly to represent the owners. So you can sometimes see some failings in, that, in, that, uh, in the way that works. And sometimes also executive committees turn around and delegate too much to the, to the managers and uh, not realising that uh, the managers don't necessarily understand that they're also then rep there to represent the, the individual members. So you can see all sorts of opportunities for, uh, for conflicts that occur. There needs to be some effort to ensure that there's minimal opportunities for those conflicts by setting up good contracts in the first place between a, a manager and the owners corporation and also getting the executive committee to understand that they truly do represent the owners and that they shouldn't sort of, uh, you know, at any time bully an owner, which sometimes they do. So there's, there's issues that can occur across the three, three parts of that structure. What would you say the most common complaints are raised by owners in owners' corporations? Well, I suppose there's, there's two different areas that uh, we've seen complaints over the last 10 years. Uh, one has certainly been to do with building quality and because so many, so many owners were encouraged to buy off the plan and that's created a lot of problems in Canberra. So there's been those sort of instances. In a totally different direction, the, the relationship between owners and, and their strata managers and owners and the executive committee is not always that sound either. So people will come to uh, people like the Owners Corporation uh, Network and, and talk to some of our executive uh, committee members about ways and means to help them uh, address those sorts of issues because often the, uh, the, go the government sources that are there to, to help owners with these sort of things don't really work very well. Uh, Access Canberra is there as a, as, a, uh, as a body to supposedly help that but basically they, if there's anything too serious they simply send it off to ACAT which is not really the right thing to do. It's, uh, you know, it's a it's a process that becomes too legalistic and too hard for owners. So owners need that sort of informal assistance that people like the Owners Corporation Network can give them. Mind you, there are many good managers now who also give their owners good, good support, but you know, there needs to be improvement to make sure all of those strata managers are just as capable as each other, as the best. I applaud you for what you've done with the Owners Corporation Network in Canberra. I think it's a massive commitment of time and, and dedication that you've provided and I know that you have a selection of great people around you that have been with you for a long time on the Executive Committee of the Owners Corporation Network who've helped you provide that volunteer support. You and I both know that the new reforms are quite complex and the buildings in which people own units are getting more and more complicated with embedded networks for electricity, sophisticated entwined shared facilities and services and other arrangements. Do you think there's a case for, in the absence of ACT government providing appropriate levels of education and understanding, for support from government to OCN to better equip owners with the information that they need? So many times we see particular members of owners corporations taking advantage of, of the way they were originally set up and, and bearing in mind that the original arrangements relate to entitlement points and therefore whatever services are, are being used, whether they be 
the more the newer things like the embedded uh, services or whatever. So, sometimes uh, individual owners or individual members of the owners' corporation have taken advantage of those things. Whereas I think the the recent reforms have certainly created an op a, a way to to make sure that those things are more equitable in terms of the way they're handled. But I think a lot of owners' corporations and individual owners won't understand that those things have been changed and they should now make sure that they're set up in such a way that that equity is really appropriate. And, and as you just said, uh, as one moves on with more uh, combined services, whether it be, maybe it's even to do with things like use of solar or uh, whatever, there could be any number of things, uh, uh, you know, use of uh, uh, power for electric vehicles. You know, we're just going to see more and more of these things where there's opportunities for, uh, for, for, for disputes to occur and inequities to occur because of that, because of the way these things are set up. And I think uh, the government hasn't always understood, even though they might they might have now had some input to change the, 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 the reforms or to do the reforms and create some changes to the legislation, they're not really equipped now to service that. So it really is up to the individual owners to, to try and find ways and means to better understand that. And I think some form of education provided by a combination of government and, uh, and the private sector, I think, is most appropriate because in that way, everyone will be a lot, a lot happier in terms of where they're living. Bearing in mind, too, that so many people in these, uh, in these complexes uh, are older. They don't necessarily have uh, a full understanding of, of what they're getting themselves into, and, and often they, they move into these places for a lifestyle change, not to become a, a, a pseudo lawyer. And so they, they do really need simple ways to, to help them address the issues before they, before they become serious. One such issue that many have had to face in the ACT, volunteer members of executive committees, and, and of course in other jurisdictions, is having to answer and respond to questions to the insurance broker as to whether or not there's cladding on the building and whether or not such cladding is combustible cladding. I think this has come as a shock to many owners in the ACT, even though I, I don't think there would be anyone that wasn't aware of what occurred in Grenfell and some more other recent examples in Victoria and New South Wales. However, nothing as significant has impacted Australia yet in terms of impacting life. This is an issue where executive committee members who are volunteers have to deal with a massive potential rectification problem for their building that could leave their buildings uninsurable and of course unsafe, or at the very least with insurance premiums that have tripled or quadrupled. How do you see owners corporations dealing with that at this point in time? Well, for a start, I think many owners would be very surprised at what they bought into when they, they buy their apartment. The government hasn't necessarily ensured that the place was ready for a true occupancy, e.g. the fact that there, there might have been products that are now illegal that are being used and therefore it's left then to the owners and the owners' corporation to fix the problem. So, And then to be now, if you like, being addressed by the insurance industry that uh, 
that it's a problem that they those owners have to take up and fix uh, by by taking on rectification of the cladding, e.g. first of all assessing it, that it is a problem, uh, that it really is flammable cladding, and then to, to take on the, the need to replace it and to go to tender and to do all those sorts of things. Very expensive arrangements. But even if it's not expensive, the, the stress that's been caused to, to many people who, who bought in, maybe it's, uh, they've used most of their assets to buy a place on their, uh, as their you know, reaching the, a certain stage in their life. Uh, and, but it's not only the older ones, it's, it's also the younger ones, younger ones m moving into apartments or townhouses that, that are then stuck with the likelihood of extra costs related to, to body corporate fees because the insurance has increased by three times or whether it's the cost of the rectification. They don't necessarily have the budget and, and, and assets to do that. And, and look, when you, when you turn around and see that on top of the, uh, the COVID issues uh, right now, uh, you see enormous pressures on on uh, on owners to uh, to handle this, and in uh, in particular in the ACT, you've got a massive increase in rates in uh, in the strata sector that are that are really uh, quite out of line with uh, with rates generally across the country, as well as I mean I don't like to say that there's an issue relative to rates in in uh, apartments versus houses, but one needs to be careful in terms of the reforms that they've put in that they make sure that they're working the right way and there's no, no unfairness there. So all of those things add to the cost pressures of, of, uh, of the owners in apartments and, and I think they're, they're really very surprised by that. And, and, and I'm surprised the government is taking so long in the ACT to address it. Uh, certainly the, the initial offer of, uh, of, of giving some money possibly without too much definition of it to, uh, to help assist with the, the, the verification of what the problem is, uh, that's one small thing, but you know, the, the, the issues beyond that are much greater. Gary, do you feel that ACT government is a little bit too heavily reliant on volunteer organisations such as the Owners Corporation Network to inform it of issues rather than proactively seeking out the information and utilising their reserves of information that they would have to hand, presumably through their various mechanisms of you know, ensuring uh, building regulation and uh, building product regulation, obtaining building records, approving building matters... Uh, and recording all details of you know owners and units plans. Well, uh, yes, I do. I think they are dependent on the on on volunteer organisations, but that, that's across the board with many things in Canberra. And, and look, I, I'm not sure that Canberra people mind playing a part. Canberra people generally are pretty generous with with volunteering, and uh, and I think that's that's a feature of, of the of the city and the territory. So I don't think the people mind that, but but I think it's time that the government starts to recognise that it happens and they give some credit and maybe even greater assistance to the voluntary organisations to to perform that assistance so that we work as a team, if you like, with government. But, you know, there, there's limited resources in, in, in those voluntary organisations to, to deliver on all of that. And I think if the government was 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 truly accepting of the of the contribution, they would be a bit more generous and a bit more supportive um, in terms of how they how they work with uh, voluntary organisations. And and look, voluntary organisations have many forms. I mean, the ACN is might be seen as a, a different sort of voluntary organisation because it's really 
is probably um, self-serving of people in terms of housing. It's not the same as a, a, as a social type uh, ACOS or whatever. It's not like that. It's a bit different to that. But nevertheless, uh, there's a lot of community effort put into those things and, uh, and people are doing it largely to help others. So it is a form of, of social assistance or social advocacy. So and I think the government really does need to uh, uh, step up to uh, supporting those organisations, whether it be monetary-wise or, or uh, uh, with constructive sort of working together, uh, you know, rather than sometimes making it difficult for, for them to talk to ministers and talk to bureaucrats and whatever. Cladding is a fairly large problem and ACT government, as, as you're aware, has recently tabled a very small blurb in its budget about providing some sort of low interest loan for some investigation to understand if there is a potential cladding problem. I suspect most of the buildings that are impacted in the ACT the owners are potentially aware of it, having had to respond to insurance questions about this particular nature already. So owners are probably a little bit more aware now than what ACT government seems to be cognizant of in terms of thinking about a low interest loan for investigative work at the commencement of identifying an issue. It's a little bit late in the day in terms of the insurers already been there and, and raising this as an issue. What needs to be done in, in my opinion is for a connection between owners corporations strata managers and master builders association members so appropriate professionals engineers fire consultants architects builders to come together and to identify what the options are for volunteers who are executive committee members to look at to consider how to either remediate their issue or how they can go down a pathway where ACT government will accept that as an appropriate pathway towards remediating the particular issue. Financing these works is going to be expensive. Who do you think should be wearing some of that cost burden? Oh, I don't think there's much doubt that the government should take a lot more responsibility for wearing some of those costs. And, uh, uh, you know, as you said, it's too, it's too little too late to be worried about the assessment part of it. That, as you said, is almost done. Yeah, certainly with any owners' corporations that are, that are reasonably well managed by their combination of their executive committees and their manager, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's been done. Uh, we're now looking at the ways and means to uh, to do the rectification work, and and that's where the big cost is. It's not in the assessment, so uh, the government needs to understand that and and, uh, and look at ways and means of, of supporting that, uh, rather than sort of the, the the simple bit of a couple of million there to assist in the assessment process. And look, I think again, you know, you you. You talked about cooperation of the master builders and the OCN and the strata managers. Well, there's three good organisations there that will certainly do their share of, of, of the analysis and, uh, and come up with ways and means of, of, of how these things can be done and, and what the likely costs are going to be. And, uh, and if the government really worked with those groups, I mean, I know the strata managers and the MBA are not really voluntary organisations, but they certainly have got a strong commitment to the community. So uh, 
the the three organisations with government, I think, can could work on that in a very cooperative way to uh, to identify just what does need to be done, and then put some realistic uh, support financial arrangements in place. Because any solution really is not an easy one to arrive at for an owner's corporation by virtue of its very structure. People might not be able to fund the costs personally. You've mentioned COVID. That is impacting people's ability if they've lost their jobs to even front up the levies, let alone an additional special levy or going down the pathway of obtaining strata finance is is difficult and complicated. If well, you... look, just let me interrupt there, but, uh, you know, when you look at the, the rectification costs that have come across more generally without cladding, there's been a lot of those. Uh, you've got the rates issue that I've already mentioned, but in the defect rectification area, quite often it's levies that have really gone up as well because of the need to address the issues that have existed in particular uh, owners' corporations. And look, and when you, when you look at... Uh, those extra costs that individuals have got, I think it would probably there'd probably be examples out there where particular complexes are now not being maintained even because of the high costs of the higher costs of levies and higher costs of rates. Owners are probably rejecting the need for for adequate sinking fund or admin admin fund to maintain their buildings. So we're going to finish up with uh, with some very 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 poorly maintained properties and and when I look along uh, some of our feature areas like uh, our major corridors like Northbourne Avenue and I look at the city centres and I look at the sorts of issues that might exist you know in five years ten years time with lack of maintenance we're not going to have a pretty sight as far as the ACT is concerned so I think there's some serious issues here. I agree I think it's, it's interesting and it's appropriate that the strata reforms have now created an obligation for developers to hand over a maintenance schedule at the start of uh, or the registration of a units plan and an ongoing obligation for an owner's corporation to create its own maintenance plan and schedule because a lot of the time defects arise due to lack of maintenance. It may not have necessarily been uh, shoddy building work that led to the particular defect or, or a defective product. So that's moving forward, but it's not going to accommodate what's already in existence and people that are dealing with these difficult financial times and straits. And I really don't know what the solution is other than it doesn't appear that our current government is moving away or shying away from the imposition of rates and taxes on landowners. You, you just mentioned the issue that uh, sometimes defects do occur, and they're not really defects when this happens. They can relate to maintenance. And uh, what was interesting here, after several years of, of pushing the government, uh, the OCN was very constructive in, in uh, asking the, getting the government to publish guides that relate to maintenance and and depreciation, and uh, and those guides are, are you know they they're a good start, but they need to be updated and they need to be changed as as experience is developed. But those guides were were a good start to to recognising that in the operation of a of a complex, you will have maintenance as well as as well as defects to be worried about, and and there are there is a maintenance guide there. So so and that that identifies these things. 
upfront for people if they really take the effort to 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 look at what they're buying into, and and I think that's that's a worthwhile thing. But again, you know, that's another example where people like the ACN and the MBA have worked together to help the government put together something that's practical that points out what the sort of maintenance obligations might be. The government is a follower often in, in what's going on. And look, I don't know that that's bad. It's just that maybe there, there needs to be that recognition that I referred to before. I mean, the community doesn't always expect in Canberra for the government to, to do everything. I think that's that's one of the differences here. We we do accept that sometimes, you know, we play our part, and uh, but you know we shouldn't be punished when we do by by government taking extra money off us for in the rates, the taxes, and these other things. So you know, playing your part is a is a cost saving to government. Moving forward, though, we do have owners' corporations will have to prepare their own maintenance plan. So guidance and updated guidance in in that will be will be useful and is something that yes in my opinion ACT government should support organizations such as OCN and MBA to put that information together. And I think that's a classic example of where OCN and MBA and the strata managers again work together to to put to government any improvements that are needed in these guides but then the, the government as I say needs to share you know, really recognise that, I mean, apartments, apartment owners and townhouse owners in complexes are doing a lot more for themselves as a group because they have common property and all these other things. So they are, they are used to working together rather than, you know, in a single house block where, you you know, you, you don't necessarily get all the, all the, all the neighbours in the street to work together on issues. Uh, you know, there's a lot more, lot more of this community effort happens in, in the strata sector. It's, it's almost part of the model. Gary, there's some interesting reforms coming up in, in the space of what executive committee members need to consider going into an AGM, how they need to take and distribute their minutes and, and other things. Could you just speak to some of those and, and what you think the impact will be? Yeah, look, I think there's there's two sets of, th of minutes that we're probably thinking of here. AGM minutes have always been well circulated. That's that's always been in the regulation. But I think uh, an emphasis on, on the continual transparency of circulating executive committee meeting minutes, I think is really a good thing to do because uh, the owners are starting to take a greater interest in these things. Now, I recognise that sometimes when you, you're in executive committee situations, you, you've got to protect uh, uh, some privacy issues. So I think executive committee meeting uh, minutes can be, can be sanitised a little bit. Uh, by removing specific names of people and whatever that sort of thing, but but nevertheless, I think it's important for for individual owners to know what is going on across the whole complex, and and often the executive committee meeting minutes uh, are not circulated, and 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 it's at an AGM that people all of a sudden get a bit of a surprise about some of the issues that are going on, and by that time it's often too late, and uh, and I think also having having that. Uh, better regulation of circulation of EC minutes would avoid other things where, you know, individual, uh, sometimes uh, members of executive committees who, who are inclined to be, you know, a little bit too power hungry, uh, you know, might be doing things that aren't necessarily best practice. So, so I think 
by by that circulation of, of those EC minutes as well. That would prevent that sort of thing happening because, you know, people wouldn't want to be, even those people who do want to be a little bit power hungry would recognise that maybe their their behaviour is being visible in to, to others. So, so I think there's a, a lot of good reasons for increasing that transparency that the regulations, the new reforms might uh, might support. I think you've touched on transparency for the benefit of the owners corporation, which I think is totally fair. But in in many ways, it may also be to the advantage of the executive committee members to show that they have been diligent in in addressing an issue within a promptly time. So it could actually be utilised effectively by the exec committee to ensure that they can show that they have been governing in the best interests of the owners' corporation. And that's a positive. There's nothing wrong with that. And we touched on auditing. So it will now be mandatory for unit plans with lots of over 100 or a budget of over 250 to have an audit conducted each year. What do you think the impact of that will be? Well, again, I think it's a positive thing. I think, it, uh, you know, I've certainly seen in my experience where uh, the financials of... Uh, of, of owners' corporations have not necessarily been too accurate, and uh, occasionally, you know, the odd bill might even be put against uh, uh, one one complex when it should have been put against a, a different one. So, you know, and I think uh, having an audit there is going to improve the overall transparency of the financials as well as the, any other issues that require transparency. So, I think that's a good thing. I mean, mind you, I think from an example point of view, there's probably many owners corporations out there right now who who do follow that auditing approach uh, so there's a there's plenty of examples if you like to show best practice and uh, picking up on best practice across many areas I think is a good thing so where you see well-managed owners corporations and how their overall governance arrangements work I think they it's ideal to, to pick up on those models and, and to use those examples as ways and means of improving the whole sector a lot of owners' corporations have over time adopted house rules and distinguished those from their default rules or any registered rules or special resolutions passed to amend the default rules over time. Now there's the opportunity to, and indeed an obligation, to create consolidated rules if, if there's rules other than the default rules moving forward. And in my view, it would be appropriate that house rules are largely dispensed with and anything that is required to be dealt with by rule is contained in alternate rules which must be registered under the new regime within three months of being adopted. How do you see this playing out for existing owners' corporations? There might still be things that really maybe they shouldn't be called rules maybe they should just be uh, community guidelines or something else that that could be something different because there are examples out there that just relate to the fact that you know you're living in a community so there's certain things that you might do that are that are good practice, like your waste room, for example, don't use it after 10 o'clock at night or whatever. But and you know, I don't think you need that sort of thing in a in a rule. I think it's more about you know general behaviour that 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 is a good thing to do. Now, look, I think again, many owners corporations have set up uh, their own websites and things that really are more about the community living part of things, not necessarily about the registered rules. But I think where anything might add to an issue that, that is really significant, I think they need to be in the in the rules, not in the house rules. 
So, you know, I think there may be, there does need to be a bit of tightening there and maybe changing house rules names to something else. So that, I mean, the term rules and house rules, they're, they're a bit too close. So I think that needs to be changed. And uh, I mean, it's just a simple naming thing, but then the intent would be that just more about the community living things that would be out of the rules uh, whereas the you know the things that really have an impact on on financials or, or or structures that are shared and that sort of stuff they need to be very much part of the registered rules. Although you'll find in in New South Wales, for example, the bylaws, which is the equivalent of our default rules, do combine things that are often the subject of house rules, such as utilisation of trade waste areas, utilisation of loading docks, when and time frames, rules regulating behaviour in terms of you no know, glass to be around the swimming pool area, that sort of thing. You'll find that often having those rules encompassed, including behavioural type issues within the registered rules is an appropriate reference point because that then provides the transparency to purchasers coming into a development to understand what the current existing rules are without having to look at a website or, or find out about a website or other things. I'm a bit inclined to think that having glass around swimming pools as an example that you just gave is almost a common sense thing that that ought not happen and people ought to recognise that. I don't know that they need a registered rule to, to have, you know, some somebody saying, well, that's, that's a rule and you've broken the rule. In my view, rules need to be things that you can com that can be managed. No point having rules that you can't manage. So if you're going to have a rule, then know how you're going to manage it as well, otherwise don't have it. Pet rules, for example, though the rules relate to pets. Well, look, if, if the rules aren't being followed relative to pets and, and that's allowed to happen, then the rules might be wrong. They need to be relaxed a bit so that, you know, they're practical. I think the idea of, of people agreeing to some basic things relative to pets are pretty useful. Uh, but I don't think you need to go to extremes to to create things that no one is ever going to seek compliance with. So, you know, I think that's that's a good example of of, of having something that is practical and that people are going to follow and that, and that it can be managed. Gary, before we wrap up, is there anything else specific you'd like to speak to for the listeners? I think specifically in terms of the, the reforms, I think the, the cost-sharing arrangements between uh, that are on a fair basis by the building management uh, statements, I think that's important. And, and I think, uh, and it's not only an issue between residents versus uh, 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 commercial. I mean, I, I've seen examples where there's one type of commercial versus another type of commercial where... Uh, the straight use of entitlement points was no way going to give you the right answer because, you know, you might have a, 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 an accountancy firm or an or a architecture firm. Uh, they might have the same entitlement points because they've got the same space and, and position as, as, a, as a hotel or a bar. And uh, clearly one has a different set of requirements for resources versus the other. So I think that those statements uh, and, and the opportunity for, 
for user pays type principle have been a significant improvement by the by the government and and to me that was one of the one of the biggest things that that came out of those strata reforms but look i was pleased that the strata four reforms then did go much further and start to address the continuation of other things and and the fact that they're also now saying well look the first set is is stage one and they're working now on stage two and maybe stage three, but related to things that are maybe more complex over time, like, for example, the end of life of a, of a property and, and how that might be addressed. Uh, that's quite complex, and I think there's probably good examples in, in other jurisdictions where, you know, the ACT can look and say, well, we don't want to get caught up like that. You know, so, I, and again, they're things that, um, for the ACT point of view, are not quite there yet. We don't have so many 99-year-old properties at this stage, so, uh, you know, it's not quite, we're not quite ready for it, so I don't think there's any urgency for it. Although, on occasions, there's been buildings that have been so badly built that the only way to solve them was to pull them down. So then you've got an end-of-life situation. So there are some situations like that. Gary, I'd just like to say thank you so much for joining us today. I think that's been excellent and would love to have you on again and, and speak more regularly on issues that are impacting our constituents. Really appreciate your time today. Yeah, well, thanks, Susan. Thanks again to Gary Petherbridge, the president of the Owners Corporation Network, ACT, for finding some time to come on the show and to share your invaluable thought and expertise. As Gary has mentioned, if you want to get some more information about the valuable resources that the Owners Corporation Network offers, please go to the website www.ocnact.org.au. And of course, if you'd like to get in touch and suggest a particular topic or ask a question for me to answer on the show, share a story or suggest another guest, I would love to hear from you. Simply visit proctorlegal.com.au to make contact. Until next time, thanks for joining me.